You're listening to Industry Iowa, presented by Cirrus, the Center for Industrial Research and Service. Here's your host, Stephen Wilson. Welcome to Industry Iowa, the podcast that's powering the heart of America's industries. I'm Stephen Wilson, and I'm thrilled to be your guide on this exciting journey through the world of manufacturing, innovation, and business excellence right here in the great state of Iowa. In each episode, we're going to be diving deep into the fascinating world of Iowa's businesses, uh, both big and small. Uh, We'll talk to visionary leaders, passionate entrepreneurs, and industry experts who are shaping the future of manufacturing, agriculture, technology, and more. And so uh, expect insightful interviews, thought-provoking discussions, and actionable insights that you won't find anywhere else. And our guest here today in studio, right? In her studio and my studio, uh, in studio, we have Katie Anderson. And and I'm pulling this right off of LinkedIn, Katie. Um, But, you know, yeah, uh, international speaker, leadership consultant, best-selling author, Shingo Award recipient, Forbes Coaches Council member. And I'm guessing this last one is probably your uh, kind of the, the the foundation for all of these, right? Learning enthusiast. That, yeah. That's kind of my thoughts. So so uh, I also want to let folks know Katie's going to be delivering a keynote address at the October 26th Iowa Lean Consortium Conference. So Katie, welcome to the program. And I want to say or ask you, can you tell us a bit about yourself and your journey into this world of leadership and learning? Yes, absolutely. And first, yes, um, learning uh, is my number one sort of <clears throat> attribute than all of the different assessments that that come out, like your strengths finder. So like learner is like my number one. And it really has been the link that's shaped so many parts of my life. Um, and, and learning is about connection too with people. And that's where my enthusiasm comes in. Like I'm a pretty um, high energy person. So I'm enthusiastic about learning and I'm enthusiastic about connecting with people and helping them learn as well. So that's the essence of what, who I am. And I'm so excited to be coming out to Iowa for uh, the conference in uh, in October. So that will be great. And I hope to meet many of you there in person. Uh, my my journey of, as I said, about where I've gotten today is a bit circuitous, but is linked all through learning. I actually had a first career in academia, uh, doing academic research. And you know I, I was a very cerebral learner, but what was missing for me in that, although I loved like the process of research and, and synthesizing information was the human connection. And after getting my master's degree in Australia, I came back to the United States and uh, and also I'd, I'd done some consulting work because I made a, tra- a decision point there not to pursue my PhD. Uh, and at, when I came back from Australia, that's where I started working in um, healthcare operations and got exposed to lean and continuous improvement and operational excellence. And yeah, I got such an incredible passion for helping people solve important problems. And that is really what was the the shift in my whole uh, my whole career. And I, you know, I, I took different leadership positions over time. And 10 years ago, I started my own consulting practice. I so I could work with even more industries and companies around the world and really focusing on what are those leadership capabilities that we need to be transformational change leaders to create these cultures of continuous learning, of continuous improvement, and to help not only the change leaders, but also the, uh, you know, the executives as well to, to really do that. And we'll have to spend time talking about Australia. I have a son-in-law that's Australian and my, my daughter married and, and was down there five okay. years in uh, far North Queensland. 
All right. Uh, oh, just beautiful. Fantastic. It is. I, I went, my master's was supposed to be just one and a half years. I stayed four and a half in Sydney. So uh, I'm going to be heading back next year and I'm so excited. Oh boy, We've been going, they've now moved back. So I've tried to figure out reasons to, to still go there. Yeah. Um, but so, so one of the things I want to talk about here is, is, is you being a, an author in that book, learning to lead, leading to learn. Um, what inspired you to write that? So I had this other sort of serendipity happens throughout our life. And it's, you know, it's what you do with these sort of incredible opportunities and I, we moved to Japan for my husband's job in 2015. And as a lean practitioner and continuous improvement zealot, I could, and a global, you know, a global citizen, I couldn't have been more excited by the opportunity to move to Japan, uh, to go like learn about Toyota from the source and, and just enrich myself in the culture. And it's uh, not only in its leads now, I, I lead executive learning trips to Japan. I'm about to head on, um, off on one at the time of this recording. I'm so thrilled to be able to do that. But going back uh, a few months before we moved to Japan, I met 40-year Toyota leader Isao Yoshino at a conference in California. And it turns out he was John Shook's first boss at Toyota. And for those of you who don't know who John Shook is, he uh, was the, the he's the former president of the Lean Enterprise Institute. And he was the first non-Japanese employee of Toyota Motor Corporation in Japan in the 1980s as Toyota was starting to expand its global production to the United States. And Mr. Yoshino was his boss. And so they were at this conference and talking about what it means to be a manager and a direct report and what this learning and coaching relationship was like. And John uh, introduced me to Mr. Yoshino. He gave me his card and he said, when you come to Japan, uh, look me up and I'll take you to Toyota City. We'll go to Toyota. We'll spend the day together. And I thought, wow, this is like, <laughs> this is going to be awesome. And I really thought it was going to be a once in a lifetime opportunity. And I made my husband take the day off of work. Little did I know that Mr. Yoshino would become like my Japanese dad. And like, we ended up spending, we just, we, we just really connect. Um, we have a lot of shared just core parts of who we are about being learners, about connecting international experiences. And we, so we started spending time together and he gave me permission to write about my reflections from our conversations on a blog that I had just started. And so that was, that was the beginning in 2015 to then what transitioned to when I moved back to the United States, he and I continued to partner. And he said one day, well, maybe we should write a booklet. And I was like, a booklet, like, tell me more. Uh, and I was like, I think there's probably more than a booklet. But anyway, that 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 little seed uh, germinated into uh, some intent, a lot of intentional interviews, and then mm -hmm. became and it morphed as you know books <laughs> as books do and all yeah. this. But it came clear that we really that I really wanted to capture his his experience as an individual learning really how to lead and then leading to create this learning organization. Uh, so it's this arc of this individual, but it's also the story of how Toyota as an organization through the sixties, seventies, eighties, and nineties was really becoming the, the organization that we know today and, yeah. and showed, you know, the successes and failures along the way. So that was, that was how the book started. It wasn't uh, this, like, I didn't set out to write the book, but it actually leveraged all my research. Um, I'm, 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 you can tell I'm excited. I think I've had too much coffee too. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not talking really fast. Uh, all my research was a lot of it was qualitative based. So it actually pulled on my mm -hmm. academic training with interviews and qualitative research, but then presenting it in a very different way, a very story, a story driven, um, uh, accessible book. Yeah. And so if, if people haven't gotten the book, 
uh, I know you're going to, I would assume you're going to have some copies there at the conference. Yep, absolutely. Uh, where else can they go to get the book? So you can go to um, the book's website, learning to lead, leading to learn.com. Uh, or, you know, it's Amazon's the easiest place to get it online, but it's available on most online uh, retailers. It's also available as an audiobook, so you can listen to me read the stories. And you hear John Shook and Mr. Yoshino read their parts as well. Um, and then so it's also an ebook as well on a variety of different uh, different platforms. Uh, and, and just this year, we won the Shingo Publication yes. Award, which is a real, real honor. Um and indication of just the impact that the book is making globally. Well, how do you define the relationship between leadership and learning? You know, why is it so important? Oh, it's a great, you know, I'm actually starting a podcast myself called the chain called chain of learning. And it oh. really is a place where I see the links of leadership and learning uh, where they unite and, and uh, leadership is so critical to how we grow and develop people. And it's seen, focusing on people as the way to achieve the results and outcomes that we need. And so if we can really be successful at doing what I call leading to learn mm -hmm. as leaders, set the direction. So where do we need to go? What's the challenge or goals that we need to achieve? Provide support to our people so that they can learn and grow and experiment their way towards success and then develop ourselves because it's kind of hard to do both of those, will be successful. So it's around having this learning and growth mindset around continuous improvement and how do we create the conditions for that to happen successfully. And so it really, it's the link between those two. And we're all learners and leaders together, right? So we can pass on that knowledge, but we're learning at the same time how to do that. And so I see them as uh, just so interwoven or interlinked together. In, in, in obviously, you know, as, as, Time goes on, as the world moves on, change happens seemingly anyway. Uh, I don't know if it's just because getting older, but change seems to be happening faster and, and faster and faster. Why is continuous improvement and adaptability so essential for leaders? Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, change is the only constant, right? And so if we have this, uh, if we're so, so fixed in just focusing on a certain outcome or that we can't adapt to the change, then we are going to get stuck in the past. So we have to constantly be able to say, how can we do this better or differently? How do we take our new current condition because conditions have changed? And now what's the process we need to do to get to, you know, our either this the target we had set out before or the or a new target as well. And if we don't have the ability to be clearly setting forward experimentations and learning our way forward, then we will, uh, then we're really going to be stuck and mm -hmm. we're not going to be able to innovate and thrive and survive into the future because the, yeah, that's the only thing we know is that things will change. And so if we yeah. don't have the ability to adapt to that and our people don't have the ability to adapt and respond to that, or they are always looking to us as the leader to provide all the answers and all of the all of the, the next steps forward, then we're going to be overburdened and not be able to even think strategically about what needs to happen. And so when we can create that capability and, uh, you know, in the, and the support, but really create that capability for people to solve problems, either be these small process problems or interla interrelated problems, we're going to be, uh, we're going to accelerate our ability to get there. And I use air quotes there yeah. faster because there always is moving, right? <laughs> so. Oh yeah. Right. That, that, that target is always, always moving. And, and your, your book uh, obviously focuses on, on lean leadership. 
what can you explain what lean leadership means and and how it differs from traditional leadership yeah so i you know it's really interesting i was at a an event hosted by ge and uh, GE's CEO, Larry Culp, just a few weeks ago in New York City. And actually all these uh, videos are available on GE's website. So I highly recommend people check them out. It was called The Lean Mindset. So that was the whole mm -hmm. focus of how do you how do you define like what the lean mindset is? What is lean leadership really about? Um, and I, I see it as a way it, like there. So we there are the process side of lean and the like the what was originally the Toyota production system about how do we create pull and built-in quality and you know all you know eliminate the waste. All of that is super important. But when I'm talking about it from a leadership and a mindset standpoint, it is really about people first and Toyota's philosophy that we develop people so that we can develop cars or we create people so we can create cars. And it's, it's focusing on people and learning as the most important. And I think it's, and, and how that, I see that differing and also focusing on process, the pro learning process to get there, how I see that differing from sort of more of a traditional um, way of, of leading is a focus really on the outcome at all costs. And it doesn't really matter how we get to the outcome, and maybe because we we have we're under time pressures, we're just going to tell everyone all the answers, and it's more of a top down, mm -hmm. um, you know, focus on outcomes uh, way. And you can get to outcomes, but it's gonna it's gonna take a lot of. It's not the most <laughs> engaging place for people to be, um, and they're not necessarily coming. You're not necessarily coming leveraging all the capabilities of your organization as well. And so and you're not creating yeah. a sustainable organization. Yeah. That's right. And yeah. so we, you know, so I like to separate out, they're related. There's the, you know, the production side of how we look at process, which is super important within the, mm -hmm. the, the concepts of lean. But if we talk about the leadership and mindset, that is what's essential to be able to be successful in these other things. And, and also I see, you know, people are trying to, I work with, you know, thousands of leaders and hundreds of organizations around the world. One of the big challenges is we get often focused on the, the tools and the visible artifacts or the, the just the process side, uh, which are was important. But if we do not teach people how to think and how to use the tools, then it won't be sustainable. Mm -hmm. And this also requires the connection up to leadership and how is leadership, how are leaders and executives and directors, how are they leading differently to the provide that support. And so that is sort of the, the missing link in the success. And that's why you know, so many people have quote unquote failed in implementing lean because yeah. they were trying to implement tools and processes without the inherent learning and people focus as well. Right. So, so let's, let's, let's talk culture. Obviously um, uh, it, it's, it's, a key element, uh, you know, and, and oftentimes just as many things do, they become buzzwords, right? And, you know, we, you know we're, we're working on our culture. Um, well, what are some some practical ways that an organization can really kind of recognize kind of current state? Where's my culture at? How do I move it to a culture of continuous improvement, a culture of learning? How do we, how do, we do that? Right. Well, you know, problem solving is simply, you know, <laughs> target, minus actual is the gap that we need to close. So first it's understanding what even is the culture we want to create? What does a real learning culture, a people-centered learning culture look like? And that's one of the topics I, I talk about a lot and then we'll be diving into on my podcast, Chain of Learning. Uh, 
so we need to be able to clearly say, what are those behaviors and the mindsets that collectively make up this culture of learning? And then we can say, okay, well, where are we today? You know, on the level of like telling versus asking or clarity of the direction of where we need to go and how that's understood at all levels, you know, and, and then we can say, okay, wow, like this is, we, you know, maybe we have a bigger gap in certain areas. And then that, then we can create the roadmap of how we, of the interventions and the, the focus that we're going to have as change leaders and as, uh, as leaders within the organization to move the needle on these behaviors. Because culture is really just the, you know, collective accepted behaviors mm -hmm. and mindsets within an organization. So to change culture, you have to change behaviors. Um, and so just it's understanding where do you want to go and then what do we need to do differently to get there? Mm -hmm. um, so uh, challenges, right? Challenges, whether, whether it's, it's a, uh, an organization that is, is, is well-founded in, in lean leadership or just traditional leadership, challenges are going to uh, arise. Um, what are some, maybe the, some of the common ones that you're seeing today mm. um, in today's business environment and, and how, how do they overcome them? How are they overcoming them? Maybe some anecdotes or some stories of, of how you've seen organizations implementing these types of changes that you're speaking about? Yeah, you know, I one that comes to mind, so I, I do still work with a lot of healthcare organizations, although I work with a lot of big global manufacturing uh, companies and, and you know, government agencies and others as well. And like in response to say, you know, the, co the COVID crisis, the pandemic, you know, it was like, really had to think differently about how do we respond to an immediate need? And it was like real alignment on clarity of a problem. So something that came out of that, and I think this is, you know, that I'm going to unpack a few different things here as they're coming yes. to my mind. But the first is like a challenge I often see in organizations is we have so many quote unquote priorities or goals that there really isn't true focus. And so, um, what I saw happen in a lot of these hospital systems is that there was clear focus on the goal. The pandemic created that focus and therefore the alignment of people's energy about what we needed to do. So like creating COVID test centers and the creativity and the willingness to experiment. And we just had to get this done and all the energy focused on that. I was talking to another uh, a client of mine in a different industry and they said, gosh, when we have when we have alignment on a goal, we were really good about getting something done. But then they were showing me, I was asking them, well, what are your what are your top goals? And they they showed, you know, 40 organizational goals that they've deployed through the system and 20 must do can't fails. And I was thinking, gosh, like how 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 would anyone in the organization really understand how that connects up and and i'm sure there's a lot of great thinking i don't even want to belittle the you know the, these leaders but how does that provide that focus so that is a huge challenge of what is really the most important and maybe those are all sub things that happen within there but how do you create that story and that clarity of truly the direction or challenge we need to go. And so that is number one, because we're all scattered and then everything, we new things come on and we don't take things off. I mean, this is not anything new, but it's just like we are overburdening the system and people's capability and we don't know how to how to respond to that. So uh, like the more senior you get in organizations, like how do you really create that alignment and that focus? And that's what gets down to that first point of a leader's role is setting that clear direction and the focus. Um, and then another challenge that I see 
is that it's really hard to see for ourselves how the behaviors that led to our earlier career success actually are having the opposite impact when we're more in a people management role. And I've had this, this, this same challenge myself you know, as an independent contributor or, you know, a great, and I love solving problems and getting in there and doing the work. But when I moved into more of a people management role, and then also as a role like coaching executives, if I was coming in and telling everyone just all my ideas and what to do and, and doing that telling, I was actually not creating that ownership and enabling other people to contribute their ideas as well. And we're rewarded in our early careers and in our school for having the right answer. And, and so it's a really hard thing to unlearn. I call it breaking the telling habit. Um, and so these are a few of the things, but if we can make these subtle shifts of being clear on where we need to go and then asking better questions and pausing and slowing down a bit more to give space mm -hmm. and also going to see what's actually happening, we're, we're going to be so much more successful. And this is actually a lot of what I'm going to talk about in my keynote if we want to close the gaps in our organization's processes and outcomes, we also have to close the leadership gaps within us as well. And there's an acronym around that. So that's just going to be a teaser for those yeah, of you to come yes, out. You can come, come figure out what the leadership cards. gaps mean. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Don't show all your cards. No. Uh, well, hey, we've got a little over five minutes or so, give, give or take uh, remaining here. And I know you and Mark Graben, who I know, and I've, I've done some things with as well. Um, I remember seeing a little bit of something that you guys were working on with regards to mistakes, right? Mm, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. And uh, so, so learning, as we all know, right, if we're going to learn, uh, we have to be open to, to making those mistakes in that. Um, and of course, if somebody is, is working to close that gap, there's going to be mistakes uh, along the way. How can leaders encourage a culture where mistakes are seen as opportunities for growth and improvement rather than, oh my gosh, we made a mistake, we blew it. This, the, you know, this, this sucks. Yeah. Uh, gee, you know, how do we do that? Totally. And I, I think there, there well, there's so many, so many <laughs> uh, things that unpack around the concept of failure and, and mistakes. And, you know, it, inherently we are going to have mistakes. I know the air is human, or we're going to have failures on the way to figuring out how to do something better and right. I mean, that's the that's the point of having uh, experiments. But I think one of the the real shifts it's it's a story that's highlighted in the beginning of my book, and it's so powerful um, because it shows the difference of how you know how it might happen. So imagine you're a new college grad starting your role at your new company, and you know your 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 orientation program actually is going to put you out into the front line to understand sort of the work of your organization even if you have a back office job and you're you're assigned to you know say the paint shop you work at a car manufacturer and your simple job is to pour a can of paint and a can of solvent into a big vat and as it goes down the line it sprays down the cars so you know simple easy no problem you shouldn't make any mistakes right well one day shop floor manager runs in and says stop the line, a hundred cars are going to have to be repainted. The, the paint's like literally dripping off the cars. It's not going to stick. And all the manager's eyes go on you. What would happen in your organization? Mm -hmm. In most of our organizations, there would be some sort of blame or yelling or anger expressed. Well, this is the same thing that happened to Asao Yoshino in the late sixties in his orientation. He is 22 years old, um, but that's not what happened. And his managers walk over to him and said, 
calmly. And he says, you know, they probably inside were going like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, but you know, that's not how they reacted. They came and said, well, show us the process that you used to pour the paint into the, into the vat. And it became very clear that the cans were not well labeled. They looked nearly identical and um, you know, it was easy to make a mistake. But the, mm -hmm. the thing is, they didn't only just say they didn't not like they didn't blame him or make him feel bad. They thanked him for making that mistake mm -hmm. and said it gave them the opportunity to figure out how to improve the process for the future. And it was their responsibility to create the working conditions for mm -hmm. um, new for employees to be successful. And it's so, like what a simple shift. And so I, you know, I talk about like how, so if we want to create this culture where there's the psychological safety and it's okay to fail an experiment, what's our reaction right. when people make mistakes and we have an inherent human reaction, of course, ah, but like, yeah. how do we check that and not respond to that? And so how are we more proactive and align our actions really with the impact that we want to have? And I call that leading with intention, like what's the impact and the purpose and then what actions align with that. And when we get in this so easy to get in a reactive mode and let like our inner <laughs> our sort of the the habits the like feeling under pressure so i'm just going to tell people ideas or oh i'm so frustrated so i'm going to blame but how do we actually respond differently and then the tremendous impact that creates to make make us be able to actually prevent that mistake from happening again and then that person's more willing to experiment and contribute their ideas into the future so a subtle shift that we can make um, there. And there's so much more we can talk about oh, uh, making mistakes, making mistakes and check out Mark's great book uh, too about, about mistakes. So what trends looking to the future to close mm -hmm. out here, looking to the future, what trends and challenges do you anticipate uh, in the field of leadership and learning? Oh man, I, I, I think probably continuing to, um, that's a, that's a great question. you know, I don't necessarily have like the, the immediate best answer because sometimes we need the, the question is like, wow, that is a really good question. And I need some time to think about it. Um, so that's also a really important thing as a leader to know that don't expect everyone to have an immediate mm -hmm. answer to every question that you ask. Sometimes people are like, wow, that's a really great question. I need to, to think about that. And how do you make that be okay? Right. Uh, but I'll, you know, as I, as I'm, as I'm thinking, as I'm talking to you, uh, I, I think this is continuing to challenge ourselves about how do we create engagement in organizations? You know, our, um, our, our work has shifted in some ways, you know, with some people working remotely now, other people working in person, depending on what the work is or the situation. But if we can keep putting in place the principles that we know, then we can uh, that are that are effective. Then we can create the processes in our new environment that, mm -hmm. how to do that. So how do we make work visible? How do we create a space where people um, are are able to contribute their ideas and um, improve the work? How do we create? How do we integrate learning as part of the work? So not done something just totally offline in a classroom, which can be important. But how are we? How is that intersection between link learning and leadership really part of how, uh, of the work, that that is the role of the leader as well. It's not just achieving the outcome, but really developing people so that they can achieve the outcome. So I think it's just continuing the trends of how do we keep moving forward in this way 
and not reverting back because it's comfortable and what we know to this more traditional command and control leadership style or focus on just results and outcomes because it's harder to lead in this other way, but so much more rewarding. And ultimately you have better results and outcomes as well. Yeah. Well, thank you, Katie, for being a guest on Industry Iowa. Uh, again, just just remind everybody, go out to iowalean.org and get registered for the October 26th ILC conference. Uh, Katie, again, where can folks uh, give us your website again? Yes. So it's kbjanderson, that's all my initials together, uh, .com, kbjanderson.com. You can also go to learning to lead, leading to learn.com. That will direct you to my website. Uh, follow me on LinkedIn and uh, be uh, and stay tuned for my podcast chain of learning, which will be released uh, in early November. So tune in there and subscribe to my newsletter to be the first to know. Go to chainoflearning.com. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks so much again for being a guest on our show today. Thanks so much, Steve. 